Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. This is Mikey Aaronworth signing on to the Sign Off Framework Podcast. Uh, it's a forum for all the stories you didn't know you wished you knew about the inner workings of the world of sports marketing. This is a passion project, or at least it started as one, uh, sewn together by two people, myself and my dad, or daddy, Brian. We're not sure what to call him. Brian Aaronworth and myself, who have been working in this industry for a combined 50 years or so. And really, it's a story of how everyday people come together with a passion and fandom towards sports to form the web of industry, which serves as the background for these games we all know and love. Now, since this is the first time a lot of you will be hearing my voice, at least in this context, I'd like to explain kind of what this podcast is going to be and how we want to structure it. Every episode, I'd like to pose a sort of question or thesis that opens up a part of the world of sports marketing and sports memorabilia that you may not even be aware of. Now, this is where I want to draw a specific distinction. This is not a podcast about Frameworth. Rather, it's a peek behind the curtain using our experiences at Frameworth as a way to explore exactly how one might get involved in this world. It starts with the skeleton of a company which initially sold art before it learned how to find the artistry in sport. In that comes the experiences that we've all had, namely my dad, Brian Aaronworth, daddy. I can't remember. What are we calling him? Let's go with dad. You can call him dad too if you want. I'm sure he'd love it. But I'm going to have a chance to sit down with him and ask him all the questions that I'm personally curious about and that I think you may be curious about as well. He'll be able to use some of his anecdotes and uh, let me tell you, some of the stories that he has are kind of mind-blowing. I know some of them, but I'm selfishly almost just as excited to do this podcast as you might be to listen to it, namely because some of these are stories I don't even know about. So that's it though. I don't want to talk too much. I don't want this uh, to be about me as much as I do love the sound of my own voice and hopefully you don't mind it too much. I want to get to the next segment. We want to show you a world which exists beyond the record books and reveal that every single night in every single game, there exists the potential for a life-changing moment, which gives birth to heroes, legends, and moments which will forever change the narrative of their sport. We're going to be sitting down with Daryl Sittler himself to talk about his infamous 10-point night and break down just how long that night has lasted. All right, and welcome back, of course, to the Sign Off, a podcast brought to you by Frameworth. I'm here joined by a, two special guests. One special guest is someone who uh, I know is very near and dear to my heart. I'm going to struggle, actually, over the course of this podcast because uh, I'm actually recording this with my dad. It's Brian Aaronworth, and I think I'm probably going to slip up and call you dad over the course of this. Maybe daddy. Who knows? I'm not sure. Whatever ends up feeling comfortable for you, that's what I'm going for. Daryl, I promise you I'll try not to call you daddy. Call uh, if, you papa or something. I'll call you papa. There you go. I'm <laughs> Here I am. I'm with Daddy and Papa in the recording studio live at Frameworth. So obviously that voice that you just heard is Daryl Sittler, Toronto Maple Leaf legend, who is actually an integral part of the sports memorabilia and sports marketing world. Like we always do on this podcast, we take a look not just at the sports side of things, but more the business around it. How sports memorabilia comes to influence the players, the coaches, teams, corporations, and the fans themselves, and give you a little peek behind the curtain into the business of that. For that, we rely on the expertise of Brian Aaronworth, who's sitting to my left. Brian, you want to introduce yourself, Dad? Yeah, no, I'm here, and I'm <laughs> really thrilled to have Daryl drop by. Uh, we've been um, working together for many years, and um, I, I consider him a personal friend. Uh, we've, we've done a lot of work, uh, in going right back to the 10-point night piece. and, and Even before that. that. Yeah, yeah, and this goes back to when I was a 
just starting out in business for my father's company, and we'll get into all that. Yeah, and one of the reasons why I'm excited to have you on, Daryl, as uh, our first guest to the podcast is because uh, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of it at this point, but a piece that you had done in the 1970s, I believe, right? Yes. Was was uh, one of the first actual sports memorabilia pieces that not only did Frameworth did, but that ended up becoming a mainstream success. And I want to get into a little bit of how that happened, what the story is behind moving from signed artist works to signed pieces of sports memorabilia in a little bit. Uh, but Daryl, what, what were your memories of that? I mean, this would have been well before the time, I'm assuming, you would have been joining in any sort of large-scale piece of memorabilia or a project like that. Is that is that fair to say? Uh, very fair. Um, so back in the 70s, um, obviously the Leafs are a big draw in not only in Toronto. but I've heard of them. In, 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 I've, I've heard of them pretty Canada. well, actually, yeah. So the fact that I was playing for them and uh, along with guys like Borea and Lanny and Tiger, um, lots of interest. And we had a pretty good hockey club in the 70s there. So uh, when Mr. Aaronworth uh, came to me, um, they had an artist. I'm not even sure the artist's name today. Uh, had Marvin Sobel, I think. Did a mm-hmm. nice piece in action shot of me and uh, asked me to sign him. And, you know, again, when you start out, you don't know where the business is going to go to. Obviously, I was paid per signature. And and uh, when you get, you know, we weren't making a lot of money back in those days. Some supplemental uh, money from outside of the game, uh, you, you take advantage of that. And the other thing is that the fans appreciate it. Uh, I look around uh, now all these years later, I go into maybe a sports bar or somebody's home and there's a piece that we did years and years ago that they treasure. It's right. something that's important to the person who bought it or has it to, to you know, to, to admire it and show it off. So all those things are, are good things. You know? Now, uh, uh, Dad, do you want to talk a little bit about what it was like going from, you know, Frameworth, actually Frame Guild is, is how it started out. And uh, it was primarily an art company, you know, and prior to that would sell just the actual components to make a framed sports piece. Now, you as someone who's in that industry, at that point, you don't have much of a relation to the world of sports, sports marketing, athletes, anything like that. This is kind of new to you, correct? No, the only thing, when I started out working for my father's company, and Daryl refers to Mr. Aaronworth, I believe he's referring to my dad. <laughs> oh, that wasn't me? I thought you were talking about me. I thought I was now Mr. Aaronworth. No, a lot of people only let that happen when... You got to wait. Okay. Yeah. Um, but um, Mr. E, as they call him, and he, uh, he was in the art business. We did framing for the art galleries. But there was a concept, as we've talked about, that... Um, was new to the industry and it started out with um, not so much sports celebrities, but big uh, politicians, et cetera. Gold of my year, I think was one of the first ones that time magazine put out um, with the artist doing the piece and then getting the celebrity or politician to sign it. And so dad came up with this idea of doing a sports piece. The leaves were so hot and uh, I used to use the only thing about sports that I got out of the company was the company hockey tickets that I watched. <laughs> the play the only the thing, the yeah. only thing you got out of this was uh, a little what, bit of background knowledge. Fair, fair. But I agreed with the system. Uh, I was, of course, a huge hockey fan and was thrilled to see Daryl and Boria come walking into the office to do the signing. And I think at some point, um, because this is visual, we'll have a, a photograph. My, we did. I did find the two photos of my dad holding up yep. the piece with Daryl and, and Boria. Um, and it brings back some great memories. So that's how that piece evolved. And it was relatively new. Back in those days, if, 
if they were signing autographs, it was for an autograph book or something to hang on the, you know, basically sitting in a drawer or a binder. There really wasn't art or wall decor at the time. So this was one of the first pieces, and Daryl and Borey were big part of that. Yeah, it feels almost like it was a convergence of two different mediums. One was, you know, you'd have the autograph hound. I'm assuming, Daryl, at this point, you would have had people coming up to you all the time and asking for an autograph. The difference is, was the purpose of this autograph was to be put on someone's wall and have that exist as almost a work of art. And that's why I bring up the, the convergence there. Yeah, and the other part of it was they were limited editions, so it gave it more of a, a value. You knew you had one of 1,000 or yeah. whatever the number we did back then, so it created uh, more value for the, the purchaser for sure. And, and when I would do those things, and Brian knows, um, I always try to put something away for my family. I'd always try to get number 27 yeah, there you uh, go. out of the you know print. And, Probably have that somewhere, not sure. I'm where, sure you do. <laughs> now, number number 27, uh, I'm sure you get asked this question all the time, but you have a story behind why that was the number that you settled on. No, I didn't uh, I didn't have any choice in the matter. When I was playing uh, for the London Knights, I was number nine. I came to Leaf Training Camp as a first-round pick. I always remember the moment Jim Gregory, the general manager, took me down to the Leaf dressing room, and uh, he just said, you'll be sitting over there. And he pointed, and I saw a 27 jersey. And... I remember the emotional feeling I had with it. I knew Frank Mahovlich had won uh -huh. 27. 27 wasn't a, a, a number that was around the league too much. It was a little d different, so to speak. So the fact that they were giving me 27 was, to me, was an honor. And that's kind of how it all happened. Uh, not to go into too much detail of it, but all these years later, there's a lot of things around 27 in my life. I was born September 18th, which was uh, added up as 27. Yep. My 10-point game was February 7th, 2-7. Um, Canada Cup goal. I scored it with 8:27 left. Oh, there you go. They're just uh, I was inducted in the Hall of Fame in 1989. If you add that up, it's 27. So it's crazy how 27. And those are only a few uh, are meaningful in my life today. So you should uh, you should do the sequel to that Jim Carrey movie, The Number 23. It's okay. just the same number repeating <laughs> over and over and over again. Uh, my dad likes to brag about the fact that he's born June 5th, 1956, which is 5656. So that's well, that's, I, that's another one. I didn't even realize that until. Uh, I saw Sidney Crosby's 87, which is August 7th, 87, which is why he wears 87. Right. Uh, I'm 5'6", five, 5'6". Six, five, six. But and funny you should mention, because I was going to ask you about that, Daryl, until you brought so it all up on So my anniversary is 5'6", with Wendy I was born. Or we were married on June the 5th. Oh, oh that. <laughs> my <laughs> dad's jealous all of a sudden. <laughs> there you go. So <laughs> things you could have gone. But I know, I'm wondering if that's the case with a, a lot of players or just a few, but I know Sidney Crosby's the same way. He's got that 87 just pops up. Yeah. And maybe it's just because you're looking for it, but it, it's too coincidental. I agree. Um, but you had told me that story, and I was going to ask you about it. Yeah. Because I know he's very big on things that happen. Uh, for sure. Eight, seven as well. if, you, if you could have chosen a number, do you know what it would have been? Would it have been number nine with it, London? No, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm the type of guy, if somebody gives me whatever they give me, uh -huh. I'll take it. Okay. Um, I wouldn't go in there expecting anything. If they would have given me number nine, hey, would, I, would that have been great? Because number nine was the number back then with right. you know, Gordie Howe and, and Normie Ullman had that number in, in Toronto. So yeah. well, if, you, it, but. if you'll take anything people give you, I've got a great business opportunity. Uh, it starts at the top. Listen, all you need are six people who will buy from you. and then But I make a cut from that. And then the person above me makes a cut from that. Sounds like a pyramid. I don't know. <laughs> listen, we don't like we like to call it the reverse triangle scheme. Okay. okay? <laughs> that's, that's, that's how we do it. Uh, so to go back to memorabilia a little bit, uh, I like the little sidetrack there. It's a story I actually didn't know. But um, at the time that you're talking about doing this, 
this uh, this piece with Borier yourself and and Frameworth was it Frameworth at the time or Frame Guild Frame Guild, Frame Guild at the time okay um, what to you did a signature mean at that point growing up did you have a collection of signatures were you familiar with this industry or was that or did you wait for athletes to just give you signatures and you'd take them because you'll just take what they'll give you? So I'll, I'll tell you a cute story. Um, so we grew up in a family of eight kids. My dad was paycheck to paycheck. Never had an opportunity to go to Maple Leaf Gardens and watch a game. But my dad happened to get some exhibition tickets in Kitchener. Ranger, Rangers were playing Chicago Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. Okay, So I'm seven or eight at the time. It's a September night. After the game, we're standing out in the parking lot where the players come to go to the bus. I'm standing there with a little piece of paper and a pencil, not even a pen, hoping to get an autograph. A number of guys just filed by me, you know, just onto the bus, onto the bus. You know, and you're disappointed, you're waiting. And then finally two guys stopped. One was Bobby Hall, the star for the Blackhawks, and the other was Andy Bathgate. He was mm-hmm. the captain of the Rangers. And I'll always remember the feeling I had as a kid getting those autographs. And, and the type of guy I am, I took them home and I got tracing paper and I traced them so I could give them to my buddies, you know, you know wow, entrepreneur. That's, I cool. didn't sell them, but. that's amazing. But anyway, my message to your, your listeners out there is first impressions are, are lasting. You yeah. know, good, bad, or indifferent. Right. And uh, I'll always remember that. And then when I got into the position as a, as a player, not only with the London Knights, but with the Leafs, and a kid comes up to you, I always remembered my feeling of being patient and waiting and and what it would mean to that kid. You know, you could disappoint him or you could you could please him. So when you talk about autographs uh, as a player, yeah, they're very meaningful. Then as as times changed and things grew grow, it became more of a business. You For know? sure. That's what your business is here, you know, and, and, and it's very competitive business. So you have to be, in the, in the later years, more protective and more conscientious about who you're giving it to, how you're doing it, what they're using it for, and those sorts of things. So That's that's great, actually, and it leads into what my next question was going to be, which was kind of how your perception of signatures, autographs, and memorabilia in, ge- in general has changed since, you know, from your time as a kid growing up hoping to get autographs to the understanding now that there exists an economy around these things. Uh, and, and you mentioned being careful about kind of who you give it to and how often do you find yourself in situations where um, you're struggling with the idea of should I indulge this person or do I believe it may be going towards somewhere that, that I'm not quite comfortable with? Well, you, you never want to be taken advantage of it. Right. And if I feel that I'm in a situation and somebody's making me uncomfortable with that, I, I bring attention to it, yeah. you know, and, and see how they respond. Um, and do you find that's more on the street or would that be an actual formal? Because I know you're, you're very involved now with the business of sports. Do you find it's it's a mix of both of those or? It, it's a mix of both of them. Yeah. I mean, if I'm down at the Air Canada Centre or the Scotiabank Centre uh, with Wendell doing my job, so to speak, PR on an on a evening uh, at the game and somebody asks for an autograph or sign something, hey, I, I just do that. That's sure. the deal. But Say I'm doing a, a paid signing and I'm there and somebody comes in with all these extra items, uh, you know, you, you know he's in the business and he's just there to take advantage of you. Um, uh, I address it, you know. And yeah. Lots I of times you go into those things and you say one or two per person because you know that's otherwise. The fair, it's, yeah, that's yeah, the fair thing. And, and what happens too over the years that Brian knows those faces become familiar with guys mm-hmm. like us. They mm-hmm. show up everywhere, you know. So you you know you kind of get a feel for why they're there and what they're doing it and, and uh you know it's that's a little bit of part of the business that yeah. i don't think you any know, of the athletes like you know when you're yeah. taking advantage of of course in, in defense of the the player so i get a lot of feedback on 
you know, sometimes, you know, on the internet, anybody can be a big voice. And a lot of people criticize players for making money off autographs, et cetera. And I always address it this way. First of all, there's two components to the, to the memorabilia business. And one is what you've just said. I don't know any player, especially hockey players, who are awesome with fans, uh, much more so, I think, than any other sport. And I've been around a lot of different sports. To clarify, you mean you don't know any who aren't awesome with fans, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry yeah. if I said that wrong. But they're, they're generally, if there's a kid in the street, Sidney Crosby, Daryl Sittler, any of the big names, and you bring up Bobby Hull, one of my fondest memories was the exact same. Bobby Hall, I think, set the set the standard. He always for, comes up in these stories for being gracious to fans, et cetera, especially in 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 signings today. But the players have always been happy to sign. They go to hospitals. They sign for kids in the street, and there's no charge. Obviously, it's it's just something they do, as Daryl mentioned. Um, but then there's the business side. It's like stamp collecting. So the business side of it is for people that want to buy and sell autographs and know that the value is going to be uh, maintained. So by buying it and going to an authentic company like Frameworth or AJ's or Upper Deck or any of those companies, they know that they're buying something uh, that can be resold as a collectible. So that's a, that's a business side and it's, it's a booming, booming business. And so the players are entitled to make their share of that because otherwise they'd be sitting there doing nothing but signing all day long and there would be no value to the autographs because what you get for free is being sold for free. So how do you, how do you uh, accumulate any money? So there's the collector side and that's a buy and sell deal. And then there's for the fans that are just outside the building and the players do the best to get it. And that's the big distinguishing factor. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, the players are entitled like anybody else to make the money off the autographs when it's a business. Yeah. And I think it's important that you mentioned this Daryl as well, because uh, part of that, uh, part of the legitimacy and the economy of, of autographs and sports memorabilia, uh, it does depend on both sides playing ball, so to speak. It depends on the athletes being aware of what's happening with their autographs, the businesses being aware of how to properly market them. And as well, some of the, uh, the, the collectors themselves not to, you know, flood the markets or especially avoid forgeries and do their due diligence to know what it is they're looking for. Uh, but from you, from more of a personal level. Um, obviously, you've kind of broken out on the other side of the world of, of sports memorabilia, uh, being an athlete yourself. Uh, but do you collect at all? Do you have any pieces yourself right now that might be hanging up maybe in your garage? It could be, you know, a piece of a moment that that you appreciate that you went through or from someone else, maybe that Bobby Hall piece that you have as a memory. Is it, Do you have any of that in, in your collection? Well, um, I, I actually do. So as a kid growing up, and a lot of Lee fans have trouble um, with this when I say it. I was a Montreal Canadiens fan. Okay. And, and John Bellevaux. All right, and thanks very much for joining us. We'll uh, see you guys in the night. <laughs> and Jean Bellevaux was my childhood idol. And, yeah. uh, and I remember getting under the Christmas tree a Jean Bellevaux number four Canadiens jersey. And I'd wear that everywhere. I'd wear it to school. I'd wear it whatever, you know. So now I'm drafted by the Leafs. I'm 20 uh-huh. years old. I'm in the Montreal Forum. And I look up and I'm facing off against Jean Bellevaux. He's, <laughs> he's 41 and I'm 20. So right. obviously wow. a... a you know, memorable, magical moment for me. So I go on and have a successful career. Into my career, 89, I get elected to the Hall of Fame. So now I got to meet Jean Bellevaux at some alumni golf tournaments, NHL uh, Hall of Fame events. But I still had the, you know, the excitement as a 
even though I'm an adult in the Hall of Famer, yeah. as I did as a kid meeting him. So uh, that doesn't go away. You still have it? So I have Jean Beliveau and Rocket Richard's framed picture. I don't know if you guys yeah. put that one out in my office, you know? Right. And, uh, because he's my idol. He's my hero, you know, so to speak. So those things are meaningful. Other things I have are pieces that people gave to me, you know? Um, one lady was... Um, she was in a senior's home in um, Georgetown, and she loved knitting things, okay? And so she sent my picture to England, and they sent her back. It's about four by, you know, two by four, and she hand-hooked it, okay? All in color with my autograph on it. So she's in her 80s. Her granddaughter brought her down to Maple Leaf Gardens, and she asked the security guy if she could come in and see me. I'm on the ice, okay? So I come over to the boards, granddaughter's there with her 85 year old uh, grandmother and they're giving me this piece and it was just beautiful and i knew the work and the pride she had in it but the toronto sun happened to be there and took a picture of it right so she had never been to a leaf game before and i went upstairs we were playing the canadians in the playoffs and secured a couple tickets for her and the granddaughter to go to the game oh, amazing. so something like that when it sits in my home has a story and a meaning to it you know that's uh, fascinating. Yeah. Well, because because it's usually the opposite. Yeah. Like the it's usually the fan that wants a piece from the athlete, yeah. but you actually have a piece that a fan has made for you. A similar story happened where I was on the ice. The security guy came and he said, "There's a, a gentleman outside. He wants to give you this gift." So he comes over to me on the boards. It's a hockey stick, right? And he told me his father or his his uncle when he was dying in in Wellesley Hospital on his deathbed he said to his nephew when I die you make sure Daryl Sutter gets his stick right mm. so I take the stick and it's signed by all the Leafs 1942 right but I'm not a I don't show anything you go into my home you wouldn't even know I'm a you know, a hockey player so sure. to speak so I take the stick and put it away all these years later I'm moving around and all that sort of stuff but how the world comes together sometimes so they have. Uh, captain's uh, legends row down there mm-hmm. and my my daughter megan married amy apps mm-hmm. so sil apps's granddaughter okay right. so they're at the ceremony for the legends night and i'm in florida and megan sends me a copy of the video of sil apps the whole story is around 1942 he was a captain of the leaves and the leaves were behind detroit red wings in the series three to nothing mm-hmm. they came back and they won it's the only time it's happened where a team in the finals has been down 3-1. They won, and Sillap's got seven points in those four games. I've got this stick wow. with Sillap's. My, my grandkids' names are, are Sawyer, Apps, Sittler, and, and this stick. So that stick happened to be given me back in the 70s. It's sitting in my closet wow. all these years, but Sillap's is on it and all the rest of the Leafs, but the 42 story. So those things are so meaningful to me. And there's other ones like, you know, I got my... Uh, the London Knights gave me my um, game used jersey that I played there with. That's I got awesome. the jersey when I took the C off. Uh, yeah, very emotional night. Uh, the trainer kept you, that. You for kept me. that jersey, and the trainer gave it to me at the end of the year. Oh and I wow! Put it away. The C and out then, of the garbage, or and then I, I, yeah, no, I didn't. I don't know where the C was, but uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't have it. But I got the stitching kind of ripped up. But but the other thing I kept um, that night when I did it, I didn't wish to talk to the media, so I I hand wrote. Uh, reason why the reasons why i was giving up the captaincy so i got that framed framework that did the the piece for me so those things are 
meaningful to me. Those will go on forever. Well, uh, I think I think it's interesting because I think ultimately the reason why people are so taken by sports memorabilia is because sports has woven itself into the fabric of all of our nostalgia, like our group nostalgia. Uh-huh. So whatever you get out of sports is what you end up wanting to put on your wall to uh-huh. commemorate it. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for a lot of people, it's where they were when they saw you uh, score 10 points in a night. And that's what they commemorate because it reminds them of, you know, everything around it. Uh, but for you, it's all the memories about fans family, about the fans who have reached out to you and those touching stories, we're all looking to get the same thing out of it. And, and totally. that's, that's kind of what we look to, to grow. Well, I, I know you, you, you just touched on this and you're probably going in that direction, <laughs> so I won't stomp on no, you. No, go but, for it. But I, when you say the important moments of your life and, and Daryl Sittler's 10 point night was certainly in everybody's mind and from Framework's point of view, and we exclusively sold that 10 point night score sheet piece for, for many years. Uh, and year in, year out, um, that piece is one of our biggest selling pieces. Mm-hmm. I don't know who keeps buying it because we sold so many. <laughs> Let me uh, tell your audience how that all started. So sure. I had this flash or this idea. I said, okay, I wonder who has a score sheet, eh? So I didn't talk to you before this. Right. I just had this in my head. So I, I thought I, you were going to say, I no, had an idea. I was going to no. go out there and score 10 points. Yeah, well, <laughs> So, so I, I went to the NHL offices, downtown Toronto. Yeah. Just no, no, uh, no appointment or anything. And I asked the secretary, I said, I'm here. Uh, I'd like to talk to the guy who has the files. I said, you know, there's a game I'd like to look at the score sheet. So she brings this guy out and he's, he's probably a student, right? And he's nervous meeting me and I, you know, whatever. So we go into the files and it's all there, like not old school stuff, you know, all out in there is the score sheet. I said, I think I could have that. He's, oh, no, no, I can keep that. You know, I said, can you get a copy of it? Well, the printers are such that you can print it. And, you know. and back then when they did the score sheet, it was just all hand, uh, handwritten, handwritten yeah. you know. So that's when I had, got the score sheet. So I had this idea, wouldn't it be nice to do a piece with a score sheet? So I brought it to Brian. But the other part was there was only one Sunday paper back then, the, the Toronto Sun, and they uh-huh. had a picture on the front page of the Sun of one of the goals, right? So I put the two pieces together, brought it to Brian, and we talked about, okay, how can we market this piece? Are we going to do it limited edition, or are we going to do it as a, a kind of a master thing? And so we did a business relationship, and that's, I don't know how many years ago, but uh, it's a piece that a lot of people have uh, because of the reasons why. Black and white shot, and it's questions. Daryl signed the piece, and I'll tell you what, there's a few pieces that continue to sell. Bobby Orr's goal, yeah. um, obviously iconic goal. You know, a number of different Wayne Gretzky pieces. But I will tell you definitively that that piece, year in, year out, is in our top five to ten maximum sellers every year. And and the funny story, and I'll let Daryl tell this, but the reason I brought this up in the first place was you talk about important moments in people's lives and how many people remember that goal. But how many people you figure were at that game that night, Daryl? Everybody I see. <laughs> 80, 100,000 people. <laughs> Yeah, What's the stadium nice. hold about 16,000? Yeah. And everybody swears up and down they were at that game. I might have been, but I don't remember. I, like, I just, I don't think so, because I pretty much went to every game back then. But Yeah. yeah. We're talk, talking about pieces that I have that are meaningful. So my uh, late wife, Wendy, she kept all this stuff. I didn't know she was just putting it away. And after she passed away, obviously, I'm going through a lot of things. Well, I found the original tickets, her seats, so... Back, you as a fan would go in, they'd rip your ticket stub, you'd only have the half the stub. Well, because she went in with the wives in the back, she had the whole ticket, right? Oh. So I brought them here to Frameworth with an original program she had from that night. 
and we did a little piece up. So that to me is meaningful. Those are her, her for real sure. tickets, real program. And someday my kids or my grandkids might have that. And so you'll far. have the original, but Daryl and I have been in talks right now about reproducing that piece. Uh, obviously the original tickets would stay in his uh, frame that will go to his kids, but we've, we've taken uh, reproductions of them and we just might, um, you know, kind of rejuvenate and have a different format for that because you also had the program from that game mm-hmm. and we opened it up. It, it's great when you get those old programs because, you you know, you see the advertising for cigarettes at 25 cents or <laughs> or the lineup from the games who was playing that night. Lawn dart cool. advertisements. Even, even, even some of the advertisers are still advertisers today, like Esso and oh, right. uh, TD Bank and a number of other ones are still NHL sponsors, which is... Well, it's 45 years ago that the program was out. So That almost brings us full circle. I mean, we started with you almost unknowingly in the beginning being a pioneer of the sports marketing, sports memorabilia world by bringing the piece with you and Borier out. Uh, but the concept of using score sheets is now almost commonplace. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it was almost your idea to that put that the, together. That was the first one that came yeah. out, the score sheet. That's Matter impressive. Fact, that's almost a standard staple piece of memorabilia for I'm looking right across from me uh, in the boardroom here, and there's a Matt Sandin, uh all-time leading scorer for the Leafs. And we typically would do the score sheet now is because it was so successful with Daryl's piece. Now you don't get too many score sheets that look like Daryl's. Yeah. <laughs> 10 points in one game. And the other night, uh, who was it that had six points in a period uh, with the Rangers? Oh, I yeah. didn't see. It. I know. I know. And I, I was, I was almost going to text you say, uh, every, every time it comes close. <laughs> well, when you say that, when players are starting out and getting a lot of points, I get all sorts of texts. That, oh. that night I got a couple of texts saying, Hey, is it night your record's going to be broken? Then I Google and go on and well, see what's going it, on. But a lot of people don't know this, but, uh, well, you know, with, uh, Sidney Crosby's nickname. Yeah. And when he played for Ramuski, yeah. called him Daryl. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because his teammates called him Daryl because he he was pretty close one Got night in Ramuski point, to points get or something one eight night points night. in Ramuski. So <laughs> they they said, okay, well next next time a couple more points and and so literally I've seen things that the teammates have when he had a Stanley Cup party in his backyard, his teammates were there and they were literally calling him Daryl. Yeah. So that's special that it echoes and it will continue to echo. I mean, that's I think a few years back, who was it? Sam Gagne had seven or eight points in a yeah, game Gagne i think did, yeah, yeah. that was about as close as, as anyone's come in a while but in your foot and your phone probably lights up every time somebody gets <laughs> it doesn't get close too often but yeah, yeah. well that that so. was that was kind of a question though because i know for from my perspective i've been working in this industry for on and off my entire life uh dad you're the same way but it's essentially changed the way that we watch sports. Uh, the reason why i love talking about the 10 point night is that it's a specific moment where it could have happened on any night and it happened on that night, and that forever changed hockey, changed your life, changed our lives. And what people don't often realize is that whenever people who are sort of in the know or on these sides of things are watching sports, that thought's in the back of your head. The next play could be that play that becomes a new iconic moment. Do you watch hockey different now, knowing that or, or having been a part of it? Like, has it taken on a new meaning? Uh, for example, you mentioned getting texts every time someone gets, you know, four or five points in a game. Um, is there anything else that's changed in the way that you watch sports versus when maybe you first started out? Well, because of the technology today, stats are like up to speed right away. Before, right. like when I had the 10 point night, I remember the statistician, Stan Abodia, coming down 
from the press box over to me in the intermission saying, Daryl, I don't know if you know it, but you've got seven points. If you get another one, you tie Rocket Richard's record. Oof. Well, n- n- I didn't know. Nobody probably knew the Rocket Richard had a record of eight points. Right, right. Where nowadays, as soon as it's happening, you know, I mean, you're watching live on TV, you know, I'll give you an example. So when Austin Matthews started in the league and he scored four yep. goals in his first game, I mean, that's going to be a, a very difficult record ever to beat. Yeah. Four goals in your first game as a National Hockey League. Right. But, you know, it's a record. That's, and so when those things happen, yeah, uh, getting back to Sidney Crosby, cute little story. So I'd heard the story you were talking about him calling Daryl. So <laughs> they had the 100th uh, top 100 guys out in L.A. a couple of years ago. And I'd never met Sid before, and he was standing right. where at a cocktail reception. He's standing by. I go, hey, Daryl. Well, and his <laughs> big smile comes That's out. Amazing. I said, yeah. I, yeah. So anyway, uh, he's, uh, he's a nice, good, humble guy. Uh, he is a great guy, and uh, he thinks the world of you. I, I know um, he's asked about you quite a bit, and I, there's been back and forth yeah. uh, when I see him. And, uh, I, you know, I'll mention that we just did a signing with you or something, and he'll ask how you are. So yeah. um, there's so many great memories that can come from these games. When you talk about milestones and stats as a company in the business side of it, we're always looking at what's happening next. I, uh, I mean, even the NHL puts out a list. So we, we were preparing for say Sydney's thousand game in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of those things you can, we just brought out a new milestone Jersey to commemorate those special moments. So you're right. The stats are way ahead of everything for you. Yeah. I'll tell you a cool story. So when I got traded from the, um, the Leafs to the flyers, you know, and flyers were always an organization. They were kind of ahead of the game and the other teams as far as marketing, their fans and all that other stuff. And I had no idea this was going to happen, but the night I scored my thousandth point happened to be in the spectrum. It could have been the, the game before, it could have been the game after, but they were prepared in case I did it. Mm-hmm. So up, up in the uh, rafters, they had big nets of these little, uh, they'd be maybe four by eight of Daryl Sittler rode to 500, you know, rode to 1,000, right? Yeah. I score the goal, and all of a sudden I see, and I just think it's paper or confetti, but everybody who was there got to take home that piece of Daryl Sittler. It was kind of cool. Oh, you know, cool. That, how it I happened. didn't know that. That's when yeah. you were playing with Philly. So I was playing with the Flyers and scored the goal, you know, against Calgary Flames. But the fact that they did it, but I have Wendy, who was at the game, collected a couple of them. We See, those unique little yeah, things, yeah. and I'm finding that now, this market has gone absolutely nuts uh, during the COVID times, and some of those things that you just kind of tucked in a drawer, I'm digging everything out that I own because, um, you know, we did promotions during certain games that I've tucked a few away here and there, and I'm looking at what they're selling for online, and it's just absolutely nuts. And it's it's also, I remember uh, a while back, uh, Dad, you might be able to talk a little bit about this, but the concept of essentially using the entire animal instead of just for its meat, which was when you tear down the rink, when the oh. rink boards, the glass, all that, that can be instead of paying to get rid of it, you can now make a profit on it and turn it around. And that's similar to to what you're talking about in Philly. I mean, it's just everything you make or do in commemoration of something else can be turned into a piece of memorabilia. And what I'm talking about specifically is when I think it was with New York, yeah. when you pitched them on breaking down the rink boards and selling it as opposed to paying someone to throw it out. But Frameworth was really at the forefront of all that. And I went to New York to help them with their memorabilia um, collections and how to market them. And uh, the conversation went, you know, something about they're renovating Madison Square Garden and they're putting glass in there, uh, new new plexiglass. And right. I said, well, what are you doing with the old plexi? And they said, well, we're throwing it away. I said, well, you give that to me 
and all, how much is new plexing? They said, well, about $50,000. I said, well, you give that to me and I'll try and recover some of the cost. We cut it into square pieces, laser engraved it as official piece of Madison Square Garden plexiglass. They sold it for 25 bucks a piece and they got all of their money back. Mm-hmm. And then they started asking what else they could do. So we started collecting the nets from playoff games and cutting them up. You imagine if we had the 10 point night net that you scored those goals into or nets because yeah. of both ends. And then we, we cut those nets into little pieces, very similar to what Upper Deck does with their cards by, you know, cutting up a jersey yep. and, and putting it in the cards and adding the value. So all that stuff, really, Frameworth was at the forefront of. Yeah. Daryl, you mentioned when you were talking about your thousandth point that it could have happened on any day. It could have happened before or after when it happened, but it just so happened to be on that date. Um, I have never come close to being a professional athlete. Anyone who's seen me play sports can know my dad still beats me at tennis. Like I have no excuse for that. That's just part of my life now. But I, so I still think about the shot that I hit that hit the net and bounced on my side as opposed to his side. When the scope and scale is so much lower, do you have any of those specific moments in your head where you think either, thank God it did happen this way or thank God it didn't. But regardless, it all came down to one either luck of the bounce or, or, or some sort of circumstance that could have easily gone the other way. Not really. I don't never think of the negative things when it went the wrong way, but that's probably why you made it to where you are. (laughs) You know, one of the biggest moments in my life and career was the Canada cup game winning goal in the Montreal forum in overtime, you know, and that was a pass that came over to me on the wing. I wasn't playing center. I was playing wing at the time. And Zarilla, the goalie, came way out of the net. And we had talked about that in the dressing room. So I look up, but I'm on a tough angle, and I put it in. Well, that, if I miss, then that sure. becomes nothing. I sure. score, and now I become a Canadian uh, hero for scoring that goal. So yeah. it's, it's a fine line, but when it happens, sometimes I don't even know, as an athlete, you really appreciate how big it is to the fans that are watching. Right. You know, you you did it, but the ten point game. Here we are, forty five years later, talking about it. And I remember after it happened that night. Yeah, it was a whatever, but I never realized that. Hey, all these years later, it would be as big and play another eleven thousand games in the National Hockey League, and nobody's even you know really come close. Right. Know, eight. So. Right. Well, and then and and that course that game-winning goal for team canada and, and i remember uh don cherry taking a little bit of the credit for that but well, <laughs> i don't think that was really the case <laughs> well he, he did come through the dressing room between overtime and uh regulation time saying hey you get a chance to look up on this goalie he's going to be coming out go wide but we had all figured that out two or three games before that <laughs> but you know what the, the, the other but hey thing, give him credit I, yeah. I heard that on the news the other day he doesn't right. like when i tell the story <laughs> i tell it the way it is he yeah. you know well yeah, I mean, you, you guys it, have that in common the way if you hear it from don it's like i went to him i told him yeah. deke and yeah. and throw it and wait for him to come out he yelled it from the stands and that's why you did it but you know what the i heard i heard them on a a broadcast the other day bring up that very point um somebody else scored a similar goal and they said i remember daryl sittler doing that and it's you know when the goalie comes out too far and you can just fake the shot and uh, and move around him and i remember that one like it was yesterday. yeah so less less about the actual moment to moment but i've always been curious about this uh because i've 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 seen it happen you know in the in the limited amount i've been involved in in this business and been around athletes speaking with their their fans and collectors has a a fan ever come up to you and told you a statistic or a fact about your career that you didn't know oh yeah lots of time yeah do you, do you have one specific one that that kind of rings a bell there was one, uh, I have a record for the two quickest shorthanded goals. Mm. Um, 
I don't know how many seconds they were apart. It was against Winnipeg, but I didn't even know that because it's something that came up somewhere else. But that happens a lot of times to me, you know. That's amazing. Uh, like even just recently this year when uh, when Austin Matthews uh, was going after the record for most consecutive points, um, it was 18 games yep. that I shared with Eddie Olchuk. I didn't know that. Oh, really? Somebody starts to talk about it again. Right. You know? Don't even remember when I did it, the year I did it, or... But do you know how many records you hold, or do you, did anybody ever tell you that? That'd be interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, you know, obviously the 10-point game and uh, six goals, but if you went into the Leaf record books, I guess that's where you'd find out you'd where find you stood amongst other, other Leafs and stuff. The only thing I've ever learned from another person that I didn't know about myself were on nights that I had a bit too much to drink in university. That was it. Like, did you know you did this? I'm like, I did not know that. And I, you shouldn't have told me because I scored 10 points in the NHL. How did that happen? One, one stat that means a lot to me, and I, not to pat myself in the back, but I didn't know this until we were actually uh, doing the book with Mike Leonetti. Right. Um, so you look at the history of Maple Leaf Gardens and all the players that played over there in the, the years. Yep. There's the top 10 list of Leafs and other players that scored goals the most on Maple Leaf Gardens ice. So I hold that record for Leaf players. But for visiting players, uh, I think it's like Gordy Howe's up there, Bobby Hull. But you, you look at the list and you say, okay, those goal guys scored these goals on Maple Leaf Gardens ice. It'd be a nice stat to kind of put there. I think it's in my book kind of to, right, right. to outline it all, but I had no idea. Yeah. You, know, you know, you scored. Well, X. that's one that never goes away too. Yeah, that's right. Cause the garden, they can't yeah, take it gone. away from no, it. You know, oh, right. So it's, it's a part of the tradition, the history of the, the garden. And that's so such speak. a great building. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many variables and so many statistics that are out there. And that's one of the, the challenges that we have in, in the business that we have is finding a way to find the ones that are most marketable and, and that people like the most. And I remember learning, I think it was, Bill Moschenko had uh, the quickest three goals in like 21 seconds when he was playing for the Chicago okay. Blackhawks. Just little things like that where I'm like, well, that 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 moment, which he may not even know he had, is the kind of thing that now people are looking to commemorate on, on their wall in some way. I think one of the things that I'd say as a, a player, even to the current players and the players that are coming on, that um, it's important to kind of have a, re- not to kind of, to have a respect for this business so that when you're doing something, you know the person that you did peace for, that you're not going to bastardize it or mess it up because they paid the going price for it at the time. Right. And so you keep your 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 integrity and your loyalty to those pieces, you know? For um, sure. Because I lots of times I get people wanting me to sign 10-point pieces. Um, you talk about the score sheet. That's been our piece for all these years, yep. but now you see other guys copycatting it right not with my signature on it they might take an eight by ten put it with it with the score sheet to make it look like right but it's not you know they don't have my permission to do that. sure i guess they can do it but well they can't really because here's the thing and one of the things that framework did many many years ago and we're one of the few well i think we're the only company up here in canada i know upper deck and uh and um, Fanatics and a few other companies down in the U.S. have all the appropriate NHL, Player Association, alumni licenses, Hockey Canada licenses. And that allows us to do pieces, use images, Getty images, take images from all those places, pay royalties properly on all those pieces, and gives us a, a, an advantage. We pay dearly for it, and we pay a lot of money for those licenses, to do the things that we do. So by taking that score sheet, it's an NHL score sheet. You're not allowed to reproduce it. Can the NHL come down on people for do? Yes, they can. Do they? Well, they're not going to go after a little guy that's doing one piece, but 
they might go after somebody that's reproducing it. So the advantage of working with companies like Frameworth or Fanatics or Upper Deck is that we have the licenses, we're paying the royalties, and we have the right to do these things, which should protect people like Daryl. Um, when they do a piece with us, but it's not necessarily the case. That's it's, that's the important distinction is that it it ensures that the money gets into the pockets of the people who uh, uh, were the ones to bring about that moment. You know, you don't want the person who scored ten points in a night to be the only one who doesn't benefit from a ten point night piece existing, right? So you need to have those those people. And the in opposite place. of that is that Daryl works with us because we're a company that has the licensing and has the integrity, but we also work with Daryl because. In reverse, it's just important for companies like Frameworth to work with athletes that have mm-hmm. the integrity that live up to their word. And I'm not going to go through any any names that said, but we've had deals and handshakes and contracts with, with some players. And it doesn't happen too much in our world of hockey uh, where we have a deal. And then next thing I know, we find out that uh, the deal's been broken. I was up in Montreal one time with my family watching a game up there. And I got a call from somebody back here saying, Hey, you want to buy some of your exclusive players autographs? And I said, what do you mean? He's exclusive to us. We have a contract. Oh no, uh, they just did a signing. Mm. Well, okay. So we hope that doesn't happen too often. Um, because and for the most part it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And so what we end up trying to do is because when we launch a piece like the 10 point night piece, we assume that we're the only ones with it because we have a deal with Daryl and we right. have the NHL licensing. But when it gets knocked off by, you know, it's basically forgery mm-hmm. uh, or unlicensing, then that creates a problem for all those people that actually bought the piece at fair market value and expect that it will appreciate in value. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's a it's a tight balancing act because uh, you don't want to just completely commodify what most people want to experience as you know a way to enjoy a memory. Uh, but at the same time, you do have to protect those who are involved. And I think, Daryl, you do quite a bit in the industry uh, to protect yourself and your peers as well to make sure that everything's going the right way. Uh, and I think this is a great insight just into the way that this world works, uh, sports marketing and sports memorabilia. And Daryl, you've been uh, around to help see the growth and, in, in fact, contribute to the growth yourself. So we're always appreciative of that. We love seeing you over here. Uh, any closing remarks before we wrap this up? No, I've had a great relationship with Frameworth and with Brian over the years. And to me, that that's as important as anything. Because yeah. there are a lot of, to be polite, shady guys in this mm-hmm. industry uh, that try to take advantage of it. And so if you feel there's a trust there and you can build something. And the other thing, what I like with Brian is that if I have an idea, I come to him and we brainstorm a little bit and he puts it out to his people. And maybe we come up with something new is beneficial for everybody, the fan right. for our, each each one of us. And to me, that's that's the part of it I like also, you know. For sure, for well, sure. Well, I'd just one, like to thank Daryl very much for spending the time here with us. He's been a great friend, a great business partner for many years. Um, and uh, I know you had a lot, a lot going on these days, even with COVID back and forth. So for you to take the time to come in here, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. My pleasure. We'll Great. talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching The Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at at Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers, Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey Aaronworth, signing off.
Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!